Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, Puviet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Wonderful, wonderful show for today. With an amazing guest, Canadian volleyball player TJ Sanders stops by. TJ is a member of the Canadian men's national volleyball team. TJ was part of the team that finished in fifth place at the 2016 Olympic Games. TJ first became a professional in 2013 and has played with a variety of teams across Europe, in the Netherlands, Switzerland, Poland, and Turkey. And he currently has his sights set on the upcoming Summer Olympics in Tokyo later this year. On today's episode, TJ chats about how he first became introduced to volleyball when the national team visited his hometown. TJ also reflects on his professional career and he discusses how he gains rapport and trust with new teammates even when there's a language barrier. Finally, in an honest and candid answer, TJ discusses the Herculean task he faced in coming back from a severe back injury. There were times where he wasn't even able to walk, but he persevered and gained valuable lessons along the way. And in many ways, that injury prepared him for the last tumultuous year. Really, really, really enjoyed the conversation with TJ. He's a dynamic and accomplished athlete, and he's also incredibly intelligent. He has a profound love and appreciation of psychology, and his goal is to pursue a career in that field when his playing career comes to an end. His answers were always incredibly thoughtful, but yet honest at the same time. And I really admire the mental metamorphosis that he has experienced over the last decade. TJ is also an avid reader, and he gives us some recommendations on some of his favorite books. Easily one of my favorite athletes that I've ever had a chance to speak with. So let's go ahead and bring on professional volleyball player and a member of the Canadian national team, TJ Sanders. And let's learn. What sports did you enjoy growing up? And when did you first find yourself on the volleyball court? Yeah, growing up, actually, my dad was a phys ed teacher. So I basically grew up in the gym. It was a classic thing where after school, we'd go over to his gym. He was maybe coaching a basketball team or something like that. Um, so pretty much every sport. I mean, I, pay, I played at a reasonably high level. Basketball, that was kind of my first love. I, I wanted to become a basketball player. Uh, volleyball, soccer, golf, tennis, a couple of badminton city championships, you know, all the kind of thing. I was, in, I was in whatever I could get into. And I think my parents definitely encouraged that. It was whatever there is if you enjoy it. And obviously a little bit of hockey in there too, but the, this wasn't my scene. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't quite good enough for, for the Canadian hockey world, so I had yeah. to uh, pick my battles. And then for volleyball, I have an older sister. And she started playing volleyball. Uh, and that was kind of the first time I had ever seen it. You know, I didn't play it much, like, or I didn't see my dad teach it or anything like that. So to see her play it, I was like, okay, this is cool. It's kind of similar attributes to a basketball player, translated somewhat well, especially when you're young and developing. Um, but then in 2007, uh, the national team came and played in my town. Uh, when they came and played, I mean, you don't get to see high-level volleyball all the time. You watch university or something like that, but it's not like it's on TV, right? It's not the NBA. It's not anything like that. So all of a sudden, I, I come and I'm, I'm watching them, and I'm like, what? These guys are animals. You know, all of a sudden, there's these huge dudes who can just pump balls, and they're, and they're amazing. They're so fast. There's so many, so many facets to the game that I didn't really recognize, because even in university volleyball, you see guys do some cool stuff, but... Basically, I saw that, and at that point, the trajectory of what I wanted to do went from wanting to go to Duke and go to the NBA to, okay, now I want to do that. I want to become a, uh, I want to become a volleyball player. Well, first of all, I'm glad that we are both Duke lovers. I am a huge fan <laughs> of Duke. My number one sporting event I've ever been to was attending a Duke-Syracuse game at, at Duke. 
wow, wow. I could go on and on about how much of an amazing experience it was. But do you feel that it was seeing also these athletes up close that you mentioned it changed your perception of what you want to do, but it also show you what was possible as well. Like this is, hey, not only can I play, but I can play for the, for the national team. Yeah, and there's actually a, cool, a few cool stories in there. Like I, I was the kid that would run out onto the court and wipe up their sweat. So I had like a little towel and was sitting on the sidelines. So I was up close and personal with these guys, right? Like, so you could see the team interact. You could see that they're just people, right? Like they're still just having conversations on the sidelines, stuff like that. And then exactly like you said, all of a sudden I can see that these are just people that grew up in towns, the same kind of town that I grew up in and played a sport. And did it. So there's also kind of a disconnect, especially for Canadians to the NBA. Now we've got more guys in the NBA for sure. But having that sort of dream, it was more me looking at TV and seeing, okay, how can I make that leap? When here I can see the guys right in front of me. Mm-hmm. I can look what that path looks like. Um, and I think I always had pretty high ambitions. You know, I always knew, obviously, right, want to go to the NBA and, and then become a, trying to become an Olympian. But you're totally right. It became tangible, right? It became something that I knew what that trajectory would look like. And I sort of knew what I would need to get there. Well, I, I got to know, who were the basketball players you looked up to? Who were some of your favorite guys? I mean, Steve Nash was probably my, Nash. my okay. top guy, obviously, Canadian guy. Uh, a little bit smaller kind of I would say he was probably my style of player as well I guess um, but I mean even like early early days when all of a sudden Shaq came out of the system and I was like what is this guy he's got he's light on his feet and he's 300 pounds like this is crazy yeah um, but definitely like a huge Steve Nash and everything that kind of came came around him remind me to tell you a good Steve Nash story at the end favorite uh, Duke basketball player uh, I mean, probably, probably JJ right uh, <laughs> Honestly, okay, the guy's a great great player. I have nothing. But I don't know. I would maybe go back to, wow, maybe Grant Hill. I don't know. There's like a, there's a lot. I don't know. There's a lot of great, great athletes there. But I would honestly say, I think in answering that question, the thing I loved about Duke the most was that the players were less notable than a lot of other teams. Mm-hmm. But the success they had was so much greater. And I was kind of enamored by that, that concept. One thing I was really excited to talk to you about was that your professional career Athletes change teams all the time. No matter what level you are, you're going to change teams. And with that, as being the new athlete, you've got to develop trust and you have to acclimate to a new team. And that's difficult at any level. But for you, you've done it in different countries, in different leagues, and it's a whole different ballgame with that. So how did you acclimate yourself to these new cities, these new languages? How did you develop trust? It is definitely a bizarre reality in, in professional volleyball. You are likely going to be bouncing around different teams. And I'm, I'm a setter, so I'm kind of like the equivalent of, you know, a quarterback kind of thing in, in football. I'm constantly telling guys plays to run and we're doing different things. So when some guys maybe don't speak English as well, uh, you kind of revert back to the common language of volleyball. And I think that is why when you kind of pursue something, you want to be a master of something, you develop the language of that sport. Like I could go into a gym with somebody who knows zero English and we could play volleyball and we could have a game and we could create something. Um, but I would say where I was most effective in building trust or relationships would be off the court. I always going to a new team would want to, you know, meet the guys' families, understand their interests, see what they're all about. Because not only, I think, especially for me being a setter and, and kind of being involved in everybody's situation, I wanted that trust to go deeper than just one point in a game, right? I wanted it to be okay if it's a big moment, maybe there's a lot of pressure, maybe this guy's nervous, can I help him in any way? beyond just setting the ball right. Um, and I think in doing that off the court, that, that's definitely the way to go. And I talked to a lot of young setters as well now, where it's, 
they always talk also about leadership, right? That leadership is so important for, for a setter and that kind of thing. But I think that stems from you just building one-on-one personal relationships with people, right? You don't have to be the guy barking at everybody else, but you want to be the guy that everybody can trust. And it kind of starts with you, right? Yeah. Um, but I do think it, it, I am a little bit lucky because most of my teams were coached in English. Okay. So even when I was in like Holland, when I was in Turkey, when I was in Poland, we all, uh, the coaches spoke English. So the Polish coach or in Poland, he was Italian. So common language is English. In Turkey, I was with the national team coach from Canada. So we, he spoke English. Like I kind of got lucky there. One of my teams, the coach coached in Italian. Mm. Um, and then honestly, that was a cool experience where out of nowhere, my high school French started to like pop back into my mind and this Italian and learning their words became a little bit easier. It was kind of like a cool test. I mean, I had like Duolingo on my phone. I was trying as much as I could to, to pick up the language and stuff like that. Uh, and then again, like anything, there's, there's really not that many words in the volleyball dictionary. So it was pretty easy to understand all of those words. Could I go and have a full-on conversation like we are right now in Italian? No. But I could go into a gym and I could tell you what position each guy is and what the coach wants to do if it's based on just him speaking Italian. Very cool. Would you give me an example of that? Of if we put pitch up and put you in a miscellaneous country, we don't even you don't know the language, no one speaks it. What would you be saying? Is it hand motions as well? Is it facial expressions? What else do you do to get your point across? And, and what would be an example of how you would direct someone? Right. I, I think for sure, uh, it's just speaking with my hands, even here, right? We're having this conversation yeah, we're via Zoom, are, yeah. we're far away, and we're both just dancing with our hands. Um, but another thing, I, I think I, I try to really make it clear that I, or I want to get to a point where I understand what they're trying to say, right? So sometimes if you are speaking just with your hands or if you're in volleyball, you're trying to speak with, you know, using the ball or using directions or something like that. I want to make sure that they feel heard or understood, right? I don't want to leave there and we, because that tends to happen. You can't, you think you're on the same page, but then all of a sudden the play actually happens and then you're not. And then pressure's heightened and then stress is heightened and then it, it kind of falls apart from there. So I would just say the first thing is whatever we're trying to do, if I'm in a random country, first, it's like, what is the objective? Is this person coming to me asking for directions or am I going to them because I'm at a restaurant or whatever it is? It's like, find that common objective and then make sure that they feel heard and have the time and space to do that. And that I, I also want to be really receptive. I don't want to be, especially in some settings, in some countries, I'm a bigger guy and I don't want to be, or some of my teammates are extra extra bigger guys so we don't want to be like too intimidating right that's not the it's not going to solve any problems it's fascinating to me the levels of popularity in the different countries as well i remember being in poland and seeing the volleyball on tv and i remember thinking wow we don't have this in the states and it was extremely popular so which were the countries or the cities that had the most passionate fans yeah poland honestly has to be up there i've i've played there for kind of most of my career i guess um and have always just been in love with it it's super cool they're legitimate celebrities like in canada and even in the states you're right like they're not volleyball players aren't you know it's not the four major sports it's not that kind of thing you're not really that but i would say uh on par with them japan crazy 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 they um i mean i I can still remember going to games and twenty thousand people and they'll all be in sync with their cheers and it'll be like this it's kind of crazy you go to these gyms and they're it's like it's like duke basketball with their it's exactly like duke basketball that's it that's it you just happen to be in tokyo at the time or something like that um and then brazil those are probably like the three places where it's super popular like everybody plays it as just a hobby on the side even if they never have ambitions of becoming a pro player they just know volleyball but that is another just to touch on that i think it's a super cool 
aspect of volleyball is that it's not that big in North America, but it's big everywhere else. You know, there's professional leagues in every other country and every other continent around the world, but there's not in the U.S. or Canada, which is yeah. kind of funny, right? Like, it yeah. seems a little backwards in our in our minds, right? But it's cool to go, um, or even like I've had so many conversations with people. And it's like I think more people would recognize me in Japan than they would in Canada, or more people, right? Which is kind of backwards. What were some of the moments, culture shock moments, food or the location, or you mentioned being tall and maybe not being able to fit in some of these spots. So what were the spots where you had immediately had to text people back home or email someone back home and be like, gosh, way to hear my story. Right. Mo honestly, most of them come from Japan. We've done a bunch of kind of tours there. Yeah. Um, first one is hilarious when we as a team go in and we have, you know, a traditional cuisine and everybody's sitting on the floor. So you've got all these like seven foot guys sitting cross like under this table and everybody's like stretching and sprawled out and it's a pretty funny scene. But, but one of the most memorable things from that trip was we went, me and just a couple of guys, we went and we got coffees, something like that, and begin before a game or something like that. And we go to pay and the, the debit machine isn't working. So we go to tap it or whatever, it doesn't work. We insert it, it's not working. She, the, the lady serving us, kind of panics a little bit. She's like apologizing, apologizing, goes, gets another one. All this takes about, I don't know, two and a half minutes, right? Like classic. Gets another one. She brings it back, put the card in, works. Seamless. No problem. And then as we're leaving again, she's still like saying sorry, saying sorry. And as we walk out the door, she bows. And she bows to like a pretty aggressive degree. And then as we're walking, we walk like uh, our, our hotel is kind of two blocks, but on the same street, just on the other side of the road. We walk those two blocks. And as we're walking, we look back and she's still there bowing. And as we get into the hotel, she was still there in like this apologetic, okay. respectful okay. bow. And I was like, I was pretty blown away by that because I'm like, well, hey, I was like, how does she know that we're still watching? Is it because we're still watching? Like, is it, you know, I was like trying to figure yeah. out in my head, like, what's the, what's the reasoning and logic behind this? But it was so crazy to see that she felt she did such a disservice by, by this one technological, whatever, disruption. Yeah. And she was just there bowing for an wow. excessive amount of time, it seemed like, but I, I know there's a lot of really cool instances, especially around volleyball in Japan, because it is so popular that you just see the respect of mm. people in that country and how that's such a, it's a cultivated trait. It's something that they really value, you know, and it, it's pretty cool. Gosh, what a, what a moment. How about uh, just as a tourist? I know you don't get as much time to explore because you're going from hotel to the practice facility to the match. So you don't get to really explore like a normal person would be able to on a vacation. But what were the locations that uh, produced the strongest memories and also the best food? Wow, yeah. I've definitely had, I would say like with the national team in the summer, we travel around pretty sporadically. So we'll do like, you know, a week in Finland, then a week in Australia, then a week in Japan, then a week in Brazil. And it will just kind of be all over the place. So sometimes with those, you don't get to, it's not as immersive of an experience. But when you yeah. go and play and live in the, in the country, you're there for eight months, right? So you're kind of living there so i've had a lot of good polish food a lot of good pierogies and homemade everything like it's it's pretty incredible they're actually now that i think back on it though it's like kind of everywhere i went and played like turkey you just are walking you turn the corner there's this just door you open the door <laughs> it's like two turkish lira and you get a full bowl oh of whatever you need and it's whatever she happens to be cooking that day um incredible uh but i would say yeah like it's it's tough to pick pick favorite places that I've been because they're so different. Like I would, I would always say that Japan and Tokyo in particular is, is really special to me because that's where we qualified for the last Olympics. Yeah. There was this big moment in volleyball Canada and then we got, and we got to see so much of the town. But then at the same time, like all the places that I've played like Gdansk and Poland right on the water, you get to see 
what happened to the city throughout World War II, mm-hmm. you know, the history, the, the, the context of what that World War was in Poland is like mind blowing. There's so yeah. many, obviously there's Auschwitz and, and so many different things that are like, wow, what a, yeah, you can't get that anywhere else. Yeah. Right. Um, but then, yeah, then you go to totally other places, you go to South America, right. And you see that, like there was a couple times I still remember where we kind of we'd show up to a game in, in maybe Argentina or something like that, and it would the game would kind of be in a barn, and they'd have like massive ten foot like heaters in each corner, but it'd be like open, right? So it's like an open gym. So sometimes somebody'd have to go and wipe off like the bird doo doo from the court, you know? Like there's all this, and I think all those little moments is just you get to you get a taste of what that culture is all about. Like you're in Argentina, of course, it's warm all the time, it's beautiful there. So yeah, okay, you don't have walls on your on your gym, right? Like, all right. I'm glad you mentioned Turkey for food because I, I tell people that Istanbul is the food capital of the world. Uh, just the best, oh. best variety you're going to experience. Have you spent time in Krakow? I have, yeah. So I was, one season I was up in the north in Gdansk. Mm-hmm. And for a couple other seasons, I was right by Katowice, just in the southwest there. Okay. So yeah, Krakow was like an hour and a half from where I was. So we definitely, we definitely went there a few times. I had one of my best burgers I've ever had. And people always make fun wow. of me ordering a burger, but I had it in Krakow, a place called Bobby Burger. So I don't know if you, if that's a chain. I, I do. I think it is a chain because I think there was one in Katowice as well. <laughs> There's actually, I, I would say that's a cool thing too. You go to these different places and you get to see their take on other cuisine that you might eat at home, right? Like you might go, if you order a pizza in Japan, in you know Rome, in Turkey, in Canada, every pizza is very different. So it's kind of like, whoa, this is a cool you know test, cool baseline. Jeez, I mean, that could be a whole book in itself. Did you go up to Auschwitz as well? Yeah, it's so heavy. I mean, when, when you look yeah. at a setting and the fact that that setting can just almost become a party, like you can feel it by just buildings and, and reading a few things and that sort of stuff. It's, it's pretty profound. And I think that's what's cool too. Like I think in, in Canada, the US, we have some insane geography. It's, it's obviously we love our countries, but you go over there and you see things that like, or like Istanbul, right? People have been there for thousands and yeah. thousands and thousands of years that it's like you just the density of, of the history is, is yeah. beyond what we can even understand, right? It's, it's, I got no words for that. I got no words for that. How do you mentally get yourself in the right frame of mind? Because especially while traveling and playing in these different locations, it's going to be a lot, it's going to be very stressful. So how do you get yourself mentally in the right frame of mind? Are there certain mental health practices you do during the week? Do you use aspects of meditation, visualization? Yeah, so I used to, I mean, when I was younger coming up, I was very, I'd just be watching a ton of video, very, I guess like ambitious, but I don't know if that captures it really. I just, I wanted to be the best player in the world. I was going to do all these little things, but I definitely neglected that side of it, right? Like it was very much, okay, how how do I become the best volleyball player and just sort of keep pushing in that? But then on the flip side of that, I, and I'm sure maybe you actually read this, but I I ended up having a pretty serious back injury in 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, So before that, fortunately, we actually, like for real, we had a a team psychologist who helped us uh, sort of, they call it a mentor, mental performance coach, kind of outlines a a bunch of different techniques, a bunch of different ideas, uh, both to be used as tools on court and for more like long-term success, right? Uh, So now... And as time has gone on, especially with the injury where all of a sudden I'm injured, I couldn't walk for the first little bit of it, couldn't play for a long time. So it's like, hey, how do I still get myself prepared? And I definitely did a lot of visualization in those moments, especially when I'd come back to the national team or come back to playing. Um, Literally just visualizing techniques and and tactics and things like that that I would normally use in a game. Um, But then having a strong like meditative practice was also became very important to me. It became the kind of thing that 
you know, if you're anywhere in the world and you happen to be in Istanbul traffic and you're driving to a game and it's crazy and that you're going to be late and now you have to start getting changed while you're on the bus and you're like all these crazy things. If you've got this foundation of a, of a meditative practice, you can kind of bring yourself back to that a little bit easier. Um, so kind of meditative practice, breathing techniques. I definitely love what the breath can do. Um, journaling, whether it be just about you personally, what happened in that day, or whether it be, hey, these are my goals in sports, or whether it be a gratitude practice that you write in your journal. Like all those kind of things I definitely have benefited from. Um, but the cool, the, yeah, a really cool point that I would say is less on trend now would be the fact that I was visualizing as I came back from this injury because I could. I couldn't have the time on court. So yeah. I tried to find some way to still get reps. You know, they just happened to be in my head. Yeah. How did that time not being able to walk, not being able to get up and, and compete, how did that affect you? And in what ways do you think it, it improved you? At the beginning, it, it hit me pretty hard. It was a big, you know, revelation, I guess you could say. I definitely, when I first came back, so it was kind of this dragged out injury. We, we ended up landing in a flight and in, in, I think we were in, oh yeah, in Poland at the time. And then we were kind of on this road trip through Slovenia. And then we met in Bulgaria and that kind of thing. And that whole time, my back was like slowly breaking. So I was constantly getting scans. I was constantly in the doctor's office, constantly and whatever. Uh, and then when I came back home to Canada, I was like completely in shape. I like had to be on a wheelchair, you know, from the airport and all these kind of things. And I went home and it was a, this, for the first time, at least in, in a decade or so, I just didn't feel like I could call myself an athlete. Like I couldn't feel, it just didn't feel right. Somebody's like, oh, what do you do? Or who are you? Or, or you know, somebody introduces me. It's like, oh, this is TJ, the volleyball player. I was like, ah, but am I? I can't stand up for too long. Like I have to go sit in the corner. I have to go do this. So I, I had this kind of mental, I guess like breakdown of some sort where you could really see my, that ego that was attached to the identity of being a high performance athlete and a high performing volleyball player. Um, it just had to rewrite itself. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't identify as that anymore, which I mean, in itself is obviously a weird place to be, but so beneficial. I mean, it's really easy to be super ambitious and get attached to the thing you want to be good at um so being really attached to being a volleyball player maybe wasn't the best for my mental health so then to have that kind of stripped away and be forced to reconcile with some of those things uh became just a huge luxury in itself i mean i always kind of make the joke where it's kind of to be snarky but i'm always like yeah that was like the best year of my life like that one year I couldn't walk i'm like only doing all these little exercise like you know i used to be going lifting weights and having three-hour practices multiple times a day and those things to like Hey, I, we just did 10 minutes of walking and I feel okay, you know? And then through that, learning the lessons of, of patience and, you know, gratitude, because a lot of times, like there's still a couple of times where maybe seven months into the injury, I'd go out with my family and we'd go for like a walk through the grocery store and midway through, I have to, I'm like lying down on the ground because like my back just went and I can't mm -hmm. do anything about that. And just kind of humbled myself a little bit. Um, was a valuable lesson that I'm not sure how I would have been able to receive it otherwise right? Otherwise, and kind of being, have that taken away from me. When I talk to a lot of athletes over the last year, that's been one thing that comes up is the, the lack of identity of, there's no competitions. Am I an athlete? Am I a competitor? If I'm not, do you feel that that time prepared you for the last year? It 100% did. I mean, the unique, like the schedule that I had with, after the injury, I mean, there was one year I went over to Poland again to play, um, but it was kind of a classic scenario where I'm over there as the soldier and I, they need me to play every point and do everything in my back. Just couldn't quite handle that. Um, so we had to break the contract and I had to come home. Uh, so I was kind of used. And at that point is this is, 
you know, a year and a half, two years into the injury, I'm used to things not going as planned. I'm used to, you know, having to adjust. And I think it was, yeah, it was totally this detachment from the expectation of, oh, this is how it always is. So it has to be that way. I think that definitely braced me for what we were about to get um, here and with COVID and everything that, that is attached to that. I think I was, I'm a little bit lucky as well because my plan for the Olympics was to not take a professional contract before and just train in Canada. Mm. Um, just so it was easier to measure and easier to, you know, stay on point with. Uh, because obviously there's pressures of playing. It's okay, you have to win, which means you have to play all the time, which means your physical health is less of a priority than winning games, kind of. Um, so in choosing that, I wasn't, I didn't have to sign a contract and then maybe sign a new contract and then maybe not be able to go over there for longer because a lot of the guys on our team, you know, a lot of weird stuff happened, right? There's new contract negotiations because maybe they lost sponsors or there's less games or whatever it is. And actually a lot of guys got it. A lot of guys got caught the virus. Um, just from all the traveling and all the all that sort of stuff. So I, I count myself also a little bit lucky that my plan was all ready to not kind of jump into that. Um, but I would say 100% having what my long-term and short-term schedule looked like be totally unraveling with the back injury, it made adjusting a little bit easier, definitely, during this during this time. Throughout the last year, what do you feel is the biggest lesson you've learned? And it doesn't even have to be volleyball specific, just in life as well. You know, I, I would say that I don't even know how to, how to succinctly put this into a lesson, but I think at the very beginning when it happened and everything kind of locked down, I think there was almost like a sigh of relief from, for some people. Like I, I was super fortunate that, you know, I don't have a job where I have to go in and, and all of a sudden I may potentially lose that or whatever it is. But it, there was a sigh of relief where there was, I felt like the pressure valve was kind of open a little bit and there wasn't this high driven society that we were, we were kind of accustomed to. Again, it's because I'm coming from a very privileged place. Um, but I definitely remember like the first, I think it was, uh, kind of March when it hit Canada pretty hard. And then in April, me and my girlfriend and our kind of family there, we did like a bunch of different, like, okay, we're going to do this in April. We're going to do this where it's all like in our house. We're not doing anything. We had to be super resourceful and creative and we had a great time. Like that first month or two were great. Um, but then it's to watch the ebbs and flows of, okay, now it's month four, month, year one, you know, all those kind of things. And to watch the momentum of, okay, now it's getting a little bit more frustrating because now I want to be training more and I can't in this specific environment or now I can't fly here to do this because there might be a quarantine or I can't fly, right? Like all of a sudden it's starting to affect me greater. And I think in, in that happening, it, I would say probably patience is kind of one of the, uh, I guess, virtues that, that came from that was I can't be too attached to the expectations because it's more likely now that things are not going to go the way that you expect than they are. So it's, it's not conducive to being a high performer if you're going to be expected or attached to these, these kind of expectations. Yeah. Well, I love your thoughtful answers. And it reminds me of some of other athletes who said this was a unique and great time in some ways because it was the first time I could relax. It was the first time I didn't have a competition to train for. It was a nice physical and right. mental break. So moving forward, what's, what's next as we progress through 2021? What is on the horizon for you? Yeah, so we have uh, Nations League in Italy. Which is basically there's there's a bubble set up there. It's going to kind of be 30 days. We're going to play. There's 16 men's teams, 16 women's teams. So there's going to be a lot of volleyball going on in this kind of small environment. Um, I'm not sure what that exactly looked like, but I'm assuming it's some sort of bubble that's probably going to resemble the NBA bubble or something like that on a smaller scale. Um, so we've got that, and then right after that, I'm not really sure because then obviously we either come back to Canada, and there's going to be the quarantine, 
or and Japan won't let us go there before before Tokyo, like the Olympics. Um, so it's going to kind of be this again, probably this bizarre trying to make the best of whatever situation we're in. Uh, and then the Olympics, uh, going to compete there. Uh, and then post that it's kind of still up in the air. I, I, this, this will be a sort of a test for me, especially nations league being where we'll play, you know, 15 games in 30 days or whatever math might not add up, but something like that, right? Like a lot of games, but just to see what my back actually, how it feels with it, how it goes. Um, and then kind of making plans from there. I also am currently in school and I also currently work for a uh, nonprofit in Northern Canada. So those two, whether it be like my time right now is a little bit more emphasis or the emphasis is on volleyball. So post Olympics, it'll probably shift and I'll kind of have to rewrite my schedule a little bit and see and see what that kind of looks like. Yeah. Well, what would you like to do post playing career when you're not playing anymore? What would you like to do as a career? Yeah. So I'm currently, uh, in completing my bachelor of psychology, cool. um, my bachelor of arts for psychology with hopes to eventually pursuing a master's and potentially doctorate or whatever happens afterwards. Um, but I'm fascinated not only by, you know, mental performance or high performance coaching and, and stuff like that, but also how kind of how the fundamentals of clinical work are applicable to high performers and are applicable to the everyday person and are applicable, you know, not only do you need to be, you know, in a severe situation or a severe acute situation to work on what's going on in your head. And I think just going through what had happened in, in 2018 with my injury, uh, watching what, you know, a, a psychologist could help our team do watching all these different things, then working up North and kind of acting as a, um, working closely with the social workers and that kind of thing with the program that we're in, uh, and seeing the benefits of what they're able to provide and the resources they're able to provide. I really want to just okay, throw myself in that, like all the inertia that kind of came from being a high performer, throw it into, throw it into that. I respect and appreciate that you're interested in psychology, something that's important to me as well. Before I let you go, you know, shout out to Derek Druin for putting me on to you. He was right. He, I knew I had a great conversation. He <laughs> set us up. One of the things he mentioned was you're going to like TJ because he's a reader as well. And we've exchanged books. So we got to talk books. So the book of the last year during quarantine pandemic, most memorable one for you? Yeah, that's I, I actually because you'd you'd prep me a little bit for this one, and I, I it's like they're my children. You know, it's difficult to pick a favorite one. Um, but I like you more now. I like you I mean, more by the second. This is great. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. The uh, Gabor Mate's um, oh, what's the title of it? Uh, it's kind of his most famous one. It is uh, when the body says no, mm. uh, and basically what it is is it's describing how you know, when psychological symptoms aren't dealt with, they can manifest physically and, and why that is and, and the role that that can play on, on long-term and short-term problems. Um, and I just found it pretty fascinating, especially with having a back injury and seeing how that not only shifted my physical state, but also my mental state and my mental well-being. Um, so that one's just a, and I'm obviously nerd out about psychology a little bit. So to hear from him is pretty, it's pretty on point. Um, but yeah, other ones that were that were notable. I actually got here. I'll, I'll flip up my list here. Yeah. I'm currently. What do I got on the go currently? I'm. Oh, oh this will be interesting because I'm curious your take. I'm the kind of guy where I believe that I want to have like probably eight is like the the number that of books that I want to have on on the go at at one time. And why that is is because let's say I'm only reading a fiction fantasy book. Well, if I want to read and I'm not interested in that, then all of a sudden I don't read. Or if I'm only reading yes. like a dry nonfiction yes. biology book or something like that. And if it's like, oh, that's too boring, but I want to read. But I'm not. Well, if you've got this plethora of <laughs> options 
anytime you're on a read, you'll have something that associates with that mood. Um, so that's been a big, I've always, at the beginning, I would say probably like, you know, five to 10 years ago, I was definitely like, Ooh, that's maybe a weird people are like, well, no, you have to finish one book or you have to focus on one book. Like, you know, going against the fray a little bit. But I was like, no, the whole point is that I enjoy reading. So if I have more to choose from the same thing as like every night, you don't sit down and have one movie you can watch. You've got all the movies on whatever your, your streaming service or whatever it is. Uh, and I've definitely uh, appreciated that. But I would say one shout out to the book Incognito. That was kind of the first one. I would have been like in, in high school maybe or something like that still. It was the first book that I read that kind of, you know, you know, I'm sure you've got a, had experiences in this with books too where it kind of completely, you know, it threw me off. I was like, whoa, that's profound and interesting. And now I can see it relate into my own life. And it's basically the the whole thesis of the book was, you know, how a lot of things that are going on in your head, you don't, you're not conscious of, you're not aware of, you're not aware of why you're doing certain things. You may make narratives or create narratives for why you are, but they might be happening from something else. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what? Yeah. Obviously yeah. such a simple idea, but it kind of shook me a little bit. And then I started diving into everything by, by not only that author, but, but, you know, similar fields. Um, Cause I've always found it, it is both, I can learn something in a book. It's also like cathartic a lot of times. It's also relaxing, but engaging. It's like this perfect hurricane of all these great things. Um, but definitely a shout out to Incognito for getting me addicted. To I love that. Books. What are the three books that have left the most indelible mark on you just all time? Oh, yeah. Definitely Incognito. That's a big okay. one. Uh, okay. I read The Road when I was quite you young. read The Road. Young. Yes. Yeah. And I was, I just remember being like, wow, how do I feel everything there feeling, even though I'm this like extremely privileged person in Canada, oh, not goodness. in a post-apocalyptic, right? So that's definitely up there. Um, and then another one by David Brooks, uh, The Second Mountain, I believe it's called. Uh, he's a guy, I think he wrote The Social Animal. I'm not sure if you ever read that one, but I think it was called The Second Mountain. But it was all about this, you know, in life, most high achievers will have this first mountain that they climb. I mean, that'll be like a job or success or family or whatever it is, right? They kind of, now it's looked at as sort of like the cliche things. Um, I don't want to say those are bad things too. Like it's, there's still so much value there. But anyway, you kind of have this first mountain. And then once you reach the peak, you hit this valley because you realize, oh, that didn't fulfill me in the yeah. way that I thought it would fulfill yeah. me. And you thought it was going to be linear. You thought it was going to be a continued, an upward trajectory. Exactly. You thought it was going to keep going yeah. here. And it was it didn't even plateau. Yeah. It starts to go down, right? Because it's not meeting your expectations. And I think talking to a lot of Olympians, it's a similar yeah. vibe, right? You go to the Olympics, it's, it's supposed to be everything. It's supposed to fulfill you. Now your life should be over. You did it. You're doing great. But then when it doesn't meet that mark, is it an incredible experience? Is it life-changing experience? Of course. But it's not something that has fulfilled you. There are other things that you need to fulfill you. So anyway, you hit this valley and then you meet this second mountain as quoted by, by David Brooks there. And it, Basically, that's the one of service, I guess, is the best way to a synapse of that. Is like you all of a sudden now offer your services to your community, to other people, um, and that's where you actually find fulfillment. I agree. I think you're going to be fantastic in working in the psychology field in the future because you understand the importance of the journey, not the destination. Focus on the verbs, not the nouns. So focus on the journey of what you're doing, the daily aspects of it, the daily grind as opposed to the end destination. And I'm glad you read The Road. I have two favorite books. The Road is one of them, but it's a, it's a single book that I love that I don't recommend. I don't tell people about it because, especially right. someone who's not really a reader, I wouldn't be like, hey, come read The Road. You're going to love it. Like it's, right. But for <laughs> me, it impacted me so much emotionally. <laughs> this, has been, this has been so much fun, TJ. Love, love talking to you. This has been absolute 
a delight for me. How can people stay up to date with your career and especially on your route to the Olympics? Yeah, my Instagram is probably the one place that I that I'm somewhat active uh, on. So I, I believe it's if you just type in TJ Sanders, it should it should come up. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the one place that I try and keep uh, you know up and, and make sure I got some some content on there. Perfect. And before we get you out of here, what is your NBA Finals prediction? Wow. Wow. <laughs> then he throws that in the mix. <laughs> wow. What do I do with that sort of information? It's like, I want to say Brooklyn, but it's mostly because of Steve Nash, obviously. It's true. true. Uh, uh, it's hard to pick against I'm, them. It's, yeah. I'm say, yeah. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say they take it. There's no, it doesn't even matter the other team. They take it. Okay. Okay. I know we'll chat again. I know we'll chat again, but this was absolutely fantastic. It made my day. Yeah, me too, man. I really, uh, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you reaching out and, uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, connecting in the future. Take care. Right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Much appreciation to TJ. Be sure to give him a follow on Instagram, Sanders underscore TJ. And be on the lookout for him and the rest of the Canadian national team later this summer. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Adiento. Randall has become like, you know, New York's favorite son.